chapter 5 of Hebrews. I'm going to try to make some ground this morning, if, if possible. Um, we ended with chapter 4. Is we <clears throat> see this writer talk about a high priest. Verse 615, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. This is chapter 4, verse 15, with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time and, and to help in the time of need. Chapter 5, verse 1, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God. And I'm reading from the New York Standard Version. In things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sin, as for the people and also for himself. What I'd like to do, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and finish out with verse 4. And no one can take, and, and no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. I want us to, I want us to think about these few verses. Uh, we've kind of shift gears into a, a part of our study where. The writer now is going to, uh, as, as we've seen Christ being referred to as a high priest, now he's going to go into more of a overview or so to speak, the qualifications, the things that are necessary for one to be a high priest. When you think about these, the readers that are involved in this, that, that, are, that he's writing to, what might be something that you would think if you were one of these readers and you've come out of Judaism and you're a Christian now, what might be something that when you hear Christ is a high priest might cause you some reserve? His tribe. Sorry? His tribe. His tribe? Okay. What what else? Could you, could you, I'm sorry, David, I walked over you. It's different from the law of Moses. Okay. Anything else that just comes to mind? Could you see where they might have questions with regard to this writer bringing out the attributes that he is of Christ? If you were a, and I'm going to just use this term, if you were a hardcore and you actually think back and recognize what you've come out of, and this writer is continually trying to spur you, trying to make you think about where you are right now and what you have available right now, and yet you're thinking... Boy, you know, there's a lot of pressure. I'm dealing with a lot of situation here, challenges. It'd be easy for me to go back. It'd be easy for me to think of. 
And yet he brings up the fact that this Jesus Christ is this, is this um, and, and again, we'll get into this later, but this, this high priest that is, and the things that we just read in chapter 4, those attributes that he possesses, the things that he brings to us in time of help, in the time of need, those, those type of things that we're seeing here. When we think about this and looking at verses, especially verse 1, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men. Is that the way it was for Christ? What are we seeing here? When men were appointed, when a high priest was appointed, they were appointed on behalf of men in those things that pertain to God. Who actually appointed men? If you think back to the old law, you think back to just the Arionic priesthood. I'm going to look at just Exodus 28, verse 1. And this is, again, just talking about the, the, the priest Aaron, his sons, his lineage. Then bring near yourself Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him, and among the sons of Israel to minister as priest to me. Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And we see, you know, as men were appointed to take that role, God was the one who appointed those individuals. This wasn't like someone could just say, you know, I think me and my family are just going to run for high priest. It didn't work that way. And it's the same with Christ. It didn't work that way with Christ. It says, as, as we look at that latter part of verse 1, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, he can deal gently with ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weaknesses. And I'll go ahead and just finish that with verse 3. And because it is obligated to offer sacrifices for sin as for the people and also for himself. Going back to verse 2, when he talks about he can deal gently and with the ignorant and the misguided. Is that talking about Christ? What's that talking about? Okay, the priests. Think about the priests being these, these were earth individuals on this earth, again, pointed by God, but these individuals could deal gently and with, with the ignorant, with the misguided, since he himself also, thinking about his attributes, thinking about his characteristics, is beset with weaknesses. <clears throat> And because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifices for sin. For who? Himself. Himself and for the people. And as, and as I kind of referred to, um, no one, verse 4, takes on the honor to himself, but receives it when he's called by God even as Aaron was, and as we read in Exodus. So I think as, as, as we see this, these qualifications and the functions of a high priest, this is what this writer, I believe, is bringing out so that they could, again, they would be familiar with this. They know, but he's going to shift gears here in just a second and going to start into some territory that I think could be challenging 
for them. And I believe it was. As we look at as we look at starting with verse five, so Christ did not what? Did not glorify himself as to become a high priest. I think it would have been easy for them to think maybe that was the case with Christ. He could have he could have put himself, so to speak, risen himself to the occasion, risen himself to a level. But it's again as we look at and see the the similarities, but yet recognize the differences that exist here. So to become high priest. But he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Who said that about Christ? God. And I think what's interesting about this as we look at this particular verse and in, in, in this quote from, look at, at this from, I'm going to just, you know, we look at the Old Testament, the things that we see, the quotes that come out of the Old Testament from, see verse 5, Psalms 2, verse 7. You are my son, today I've begotten you. And verse 6, just as he also says in another passage, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And here again, we see Psalms 110, verse 4. Now, I think what's interesting here in this particular section, in these two verses, and I think for him to really get their attention, when we're thinking about, when we're thinking about verse 5, Psalms 2, verse 7, I'm going to just turn there real quick, and I'm going to read this. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord... He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Psalms 2, verse 7. Then I think whenever we consider verse 6, you're my son. This is God referring to Jesus Christ, his son. But what did he also refer to him when we look at verse 6? Verse 6, again looking at Psalms 110, verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a great, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. I believe this is, and again, this is Jesus, this is God referring to his son, referring to the resurrection. How would I know that? You think about Christ, and again, we're going to look at his superiority. How would I know that this is in reference to Christ's resurrection? Turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Let's look at verse 33. Again, you know, suppose this writer's, this writer's Paul. We don't know that, but... 
There are a lot of, there are a lot of characteristics that may lean toward that fact. But Acts chapter 13 and verse 33, God has fulfilled his promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I've begotten you. And I think one of the things that might be striking to these readers is that here's, here's the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13 refers to the resurrection and he uses, and what's he say, while written, is also written in the second Psalm. As we've just read here, as he brings this out, we see that he refers to, same God refers to his son as, 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 the, as his son who's he's begotten. The same God also refers to his son as, as high priest. And I think it's something there that we can see the, you know, the, letting the Bible, so to speak, be its own commentary. Any questions or comments at this point? Carrie. It seems to me that in verse 5, and connecting it to Acts 13, that this is a, it, God is declaring Jesus to be the Son of God. And I, I, I guess I am losing, I'm not sure I'm making the connection with the priest in verse 6, but to me, verse 5 is about declaring Jesus to be the Son of God because God raised him from the dead. Yes. So, is that what you're... So, your question as far as chapter, verse 6 being the priest. I'm not making the connection of... Acts 13, showing uh, the priesthood. No, and, and if, I, if I inferred that, I apologize. Okay. I'm, my, maybe I'm just misunderstood. Yeah, what, what, I, what I'm saying here is looking at Psalm chapter, looking at Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, he says to him, you're my son, today I've begotten you. Paul, referring to that same Psalm back in... Acts chapter 13 would have been very, is the same, is the same situation, same quote, so to speak, from the book of Psalms that he has here. What, what my point is in considering this is God who's talking about his son, who is his, his son, the, the son of God, but yet in verse 6, he says in another passage, you're priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Acts 13 doesn't bring out that part about the priest. And if I said that, my apologies. Anything else? What? Any other comment, Chris? It could be that the point um, about the uh, about Jesus being our high priest is interwoven with him being the the Son of God, 
um, and his his uh, his nature there. So, um, because clearly here it it is it is saying that you are my son. Today I've begotten you. So that is related to him being a high priest. That wasn't the, the point that Paul made in Acts 13 about it, but it's it's also you know it's it's multifaceted. The the way the Bible is, the way God's word is, is you can read this one way and then you can read it another way and it still have meaning um, with that. So it's, it's interesting how it was purposed that way. Yes. Any other comments? So when he talks about your priest for the forever according to the order of Melchizedek, we'll get into that a little bit more about the order of Melchizedek here, hopefully in just a few minutes, um, in in verse ten. But uh, let's uh, when we think about in verse seven, when we think about in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. In the days of his flesh, what would that term, what would that term mean? What do you think that term means? In the days of his flesh. What do we know about Christ? He's eternal, but he took on flesh. Okay. Eternal, but he took on flesh. And in that in that light, when we think about that, what did that enable him or give him the capability to do? Feel as we feel. Okay. Feel as we feel. Understood man. Dwelt among man. He was familiar with man's sufferings, man's temptations and weaknesses. We've already talked about that. Even in prior chapter, we've seen that where he is able to sympathize with us because of who he is and the attributes uh, of what he has and what he brings as far as, again, being superior. <clears throat> when we think about this order of Melchizedek, um, Christ has shown the superiority, the writer has shown the superiority of Christ over prophets, angels, and of Moses. He's shown that Christ is superior to that of the Arianic type priesthood. As he's just brought out in verse 6, you know, after the order of Melchizedek. We're going to see a little, quite a, a little bit more of this in chapter 7. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give just a little, just kind of a highlight or just an overview. When we think about Melchizedek, who was he? He was a king and a priest. And I'm not going to read Genesis chapter 14 at the moment, but you can turn there to see and read who he was. Without father and mother, Hebrews 7 verse 3 will bring that out. Superior to Aaron the Arianic priesthood, and one, again, thinking about one high priest priesthood, thinking about who he was and what he actually did and bef before God. 
And I, when we just we think about these uh, these the qualities again, as he brings this out, reminds them of another type of priesthood. This writer is bringing out to these readers another type of priesthood again after the manner the order of Melchizedek. He served as the king of Salem, of whom Abraham had paid tithes, and served as God's high priest. When we think about when we think about uh, being without father and mother, what does that what does that say to you? Was he literally without father and mother? Literally? We have no record. Okay. We have no record. I think what I think what that brings out without father and mother, I think it brings out the fact that. He didn't have a lineage like we see with the Arianic priesthood. You think about Aaron and his sons, his grandsons and his grand, their, their kid. There, there, was, there was a lineage. There was a lineage there. But when we think about Melchizedek, that wasn't the case. The Arianic priesthood, you know, when we say he was superior to Aaron, you know, the Arianic priesthood paid tithes to Melchizedek. We're going to read more in chapter 7. We're going to go over chapter 7 a little bit more. Uh, it's going to actually bring this out. But God's, Christ serves as God's high priest in this manner. Now, when we think about that, and we recognize that Christ, although he was a son, verse 8, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered, having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. When we, when we think about Melchizedek and we think about Christ, what are similarities that Christ brought that were similar to Melchizedek? No beginning, no end. Okay, but from the tribe of who? Judah. Judah. Mm -hmm. What else about that? Who appointed Melchizedek? God. Okay. Who appointed Christ? King and priest. If, and when we think about Christ being king and priest, would these readers have had difficulty understanding that? Yeah. I believe they would have. which is Christ. Okay. Yes. Any other comments? Any, anything else with that regard to that? Any other comments? 
as we think about as we think about these qualities, Christ's qualities as a high priest, and we think about the fact that he didn't glorify himself, he didn't put himself on a pedestal with regard to those things. And then we think about God, you know, again, as he's appointed God, he's the son of God after the order of Melchizedek, and all the qualities in the, that's significant to the priesthood that again goes to describe how Christ fulfills or exceeds these same qualities. So, as we look at verse 8 and 9, because he was son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. How would he have done that? father which which it was in heaven so through his life that's how he learned okay I think again and Lee and I think brought that out with regard to his obedience the obedience from the things that he suffered when we think about all that Christ went through this is why it was possible for him to be able to become our mediator, become that go-between from us through God, to God in respect to being able to understand the things that we face. When we think about, you think about your life and think about it right now as you sit here, the things that you deal with and the things that you experience and maybe continue to experience. Is it something that you really contemplate when you think about what Christ is able to do for you and for me? To really dwell on that and really to think about that. He's been made perfect in verse 9. He's the perfect high priest. Another word for perfect. Complete. Absolutely. He, having been made complete, he became to all those who obey him the source of salvation. What is the source of salvation? Okay. And it says also in verse 9, how do, we, how do we take part in that eternal salvation? Just handed to us? It's obedience. That's right. It's obedience. We have to submit our lives to Christ. If we're not willing to do that, then that source of eternal salvation is not something that we are part of. It's there for us. We can take a hold of that. But when he became perfect and complete, he became the author of our, of our eternal salvation. 
the source of eternal salvation to all who obey. He was appointed by God as high priest. When we think about as he suffered death, he suffered the things that he did, went through the things that he did. And again, in verse 10, being designated by God as high priest, again, according to the order of Melchizedek. going to switch gears here a little bit as he has brought out through verse 10 these things with regard to the qualifications the qualifications of an of of of, a, of the priest thinking about Christ and how Christ is superior in in all ways exceeds those th- of those characteristics and attributes of of a priest an earthly priest He shifts gears here now, and what's he say in verse 11? Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. I believe what he's, again, what I think he refers to here, he's still got other things that he wants to share with them and talk with them, bring out to them with regard to Melchizedek, that that priesthood, and I believe he's saying that it's, you know, this, some of this that he's going to bring forth is hard and difficult to relate to them. But there's a reason that uh, he brings out here, since you have become dull of hearing. Does that mean that they need hearing aids? Does that mean they can't hear? Does that mean they cannot when somebody speaks to them, if the, you know, they question because they can't hear that. They weren't listening. Okay, they weren't listening. Well, what's the word dull? When you think of the word dull, think about you know, those the guys and, and maybe gals that mow your grass. Your blades get dull. What's that mean? I'm looking for a word. Okay, useless. If they were, whenever you take blades and you sharpen them, they're dull. Now what are they? Hopefully, if you've done it right, maybe you balance yours. Effective. Effective. Still looking for another word. They're sharp. I mean, mean, when I think of dull and I think of, I mean, how are we as Christians, if we let ourselves become dull, we let ourselves become sluggish. We let ourselves become such that we aren't razor sharp, trying, and again, trying to serve God. And I think that's what he's saying to these readers. To, to these readers. You, know, you know, at one time, you know, and he's going to, I think he brings that out now as we look at verse 12 through 14, is that he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. When was the church established? Roughly. Okay. When was this? When was this book written? When was this letter written? Roughly. Yeah. Okay. Thirty years later. 
So when I think about for, for by though, you know, for though by this time, let's even cut that in half and say 15 years. Should they have been able to do the things that he brings out? What does he say to them? You ought to have been teachers by this time. Let's say it's 15 years. You know, again, not knowing when they obeyed the gospel, when they responded to the gospel. You ought to be teachers. But he says, you have need again for someone to teach you. So they could have been teachers, say, in 15 years. But instead, they're in a place, in a situation where they need someone to teach them. When you think about that situation and you look at that picture, is that something that we could fall into that same situation? Is it possible? We're a Christian. Do we just ride every day? Do we just go about our business not thinking about? And when he says this, I'm going to finish it, and I left this part out on purpose. Now I want you to think about this. They have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles. When you obeyed the gospel, you became a Christian. Could you talk about and could you give somebody information about premillennialism? Think about more advanced things. Maybe things that you hear David and Leland preach about. Maybe things that may come across your path periodically. Think about more advanced. That's not what he says to them. He didn't expect that of them. He said, you need somebody to teach you the plan of salvation again. You need somebody to teach you something simple, some of the little basic things. You have forgotten those things. And why does he, when you think about verse 11, he's going to talk about the order of Melchizedek. He wants to continue to talk. But he says, you know what? I've reached a point with you. You're not going to understand anything I'm saying to you. You should have grown to a point as I'm talking to you about this, you would understand this. But you can't because of your position as a Christian, your situation as a Christian. You need someone to teach you the elementary principles. Carrie? to look at scripture and reason from the scripture and make logical conclusions and, and the writer is saying you should have been able to do that by now after 15, 30 years, whatever it might have been. And going back to your question, that is a big danger for us sure today in 2023. An inability to reason logically from the scripture. Appreciate that, Gary. And he says in that last part of verse 12, the oracles of God, you've come to need milk and not solid food. You know, I think when we think about that particular statement, that last sentence, you've come to need milk and not solid food. You know, we can, most of us, I would say, could sit in here right now and we just have recently had some new babies born to the, in the congregation. 
And I know I'll speak of one that's sitting back here in my area, little granddaughter. And I saw Michael fire her up a stake the other day. Right? Everybody's, why did that get a reaction of like, you're crazy? The thing about it is, when we think about this, how many of us still are drinking milk? This comes back a little bit to Carrie's point. How many of us are still drinking milk when we ought to be chewing on and we ought to be digesting solid food? When we think about that particular situation here, and he says, in need of milk and not solid food. And the milk represents what? What would the milk, what would that represent? Infants? Did I hear somebody? Supposed to be mature in God, and they weren't mature. So just like a little baby needs needs milk and needs the first um, the first of the milk to to get the um, strength that they need. They need to go back to the basics to get the strength that they need spiritually. But they really were supposed to be already progressed into the meat of the word, which is the foundation of the word. Okay. Whatever you. Whenever you think about a, a, a new Christian, is that Christian, and you know, and I'm going to say this can vary. Let me qualify that very quickly. You know, sometimes a new Christian can literally be on, on milk at that point. Maybe they've come in with some knowledge from prior experience. Maybe we're, maybe someplace uh, in, and through the years, maybe had a home that, Help them with biblical principles. But many cases, that many, many times, that's not the case. And so, as Christians, a new Christian, we think about that. And again, I think, I'm, I'm, I'm making a, a and, and again, I realize what he's bringing out here is not necessarily about a new Christian. But these individuals have reverted back. They are no longer... They are no longer where they should have been, and they've fallen back, and now they need someone to teach them. They need someone to hold their hand, so to speak, and help them along and get them back to a level. When you think about a new Christian, a lot of times, that's the same kind of thing. They need assistance. They need help. They need instruction. And then, as they grow and they get stronger and more knowledgeable, then they start to be able to digest and to deal with more of a solid food. And I think what he says here for 13 says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. It's important that we realize that God's word and the things that are there, we need to be digesting that. And we need to learn how to interpret it properly. We need to learn how to, again, help that turn from milk to meat to solid food. 
Verse 14, but solid foods for a mature, for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. A couple of words that pop out to me here, because of practice. When you think about practice or because of habit, is digging into God's word, is it something that you practice? Is it something that is a habit? Is it something that you're doing that would sharpen your senses into a way that will train you to be able to discern good and evil? That's how that happens. We have to be in the scripture. We have to read it and we have to understand it for us to have our senses sharpened Honed down, honed, and trained so that we can be able to recognize good and evil. Any other comments or questions? The doors are open and we got to shut down. Phil, it's okay. I just was going to say, uh, in the King James Version, it uses census exercise. And I, I like that because uh, with, in the physical body, if you fail to exercise, if you just sit and don't move at all, your muscles deteriorate and, they, and they're going to become useless. And it's the same thing with our mind, with, with exercising these abilities. If they're not exercised and, and used, uh, even if, if you once were uh, strong and, and you stop exercising, it failed. And it's the same with, with our... Uh, exercising our spiritual growth and in studying and in and talking to others about it. That's right. And we'll close on that. Thank you all for your comments.